This is really cool to see you guys here tonight. Some faces that I've known for a bit and others that are just getting to know you guys tonight. This is super exciting. Van City exists, you guys. Isn't that cool? It like happened. You guys are happening. Well, I don't know. We'll see about that. Um, but you know, uh, if you're new here, you're trying to figure out about the church and whether you should be a part or not, um, just something that stood out to me as I was thinking about you guys and seeing people show up little by little tonight. I was with a guy over this weekend uh, that's not a follower of Jesus, uh, and he was saying, you know, he in his 40s and hasn't ever, his kids have never been in a church. Three kids, similar age to mine, never brought them into a church, intentionally. He's never brought them into a church building to be part of a church community, and to, and so we're hanging out camping over the weekend um, in a time that was just he and I hanging out by the lake talking. He said to me, he said, you know what I really miss? Unprovoked. He said, you know what I really miss and would like about the church? And I was like, man, this is going to be good. What? And he said, the community of people, the consistent f- fellowship of people gathering together. And so it just stood out to me, man, what's happening right here in Van City every Sunday night is something that... Um, is, as Josh alluded to, it's thousands of years of what followers of Jesus have done, but it's also um, kind of a prophetic witness, a unique thing that the Spirit of God is doing in the Northwest, in Vancouver, um, that your friends and neighbors and coworkers, whether they mention it or not, they're actually longing for something like this. And it's really beautiful. So just to encourage you guys, be faithful at it. Like this is something precious that you have here. So tonight, um, we're going to continue on in this uh, year of the Bible, teaching through the Bible, and I have the privilege of bringing the book of Proverbs. Super fun. Uh, So if you have a Bible or an iPhone, please flip to the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to just kind of cover the entire, just no big deal, the entire 31 chapters in like, I don't know, 80, 90 minutes. It should be fine. You guys will be all right. We're going to have a stretching break halfway through. Um, so as you think about the wisdom literature, I know Josh um, talked about that last week. I want to uh, propose that there are three different characters, three different um, kind of personas that represent uh, the main books of the Hebrew wisdom literature. And this is how I would describe them. The first one is the book of Proverbs, and this is personified by Lady Wisdom, the wise woman. And she's observed people over thousands of years and looked at the patterns of the way that life works best. And she wants to convince you in her book, in the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom wants to convince you that wisdom is the apex for humanity. If you're going to go after anything in this life, go after wisdom. It's the ultimate. And she wants you to know that wisdom is an attribute from God himself that he actually shares and can impart to humanity. The second character um, represents the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is this skeptical Northwesterner. This guy, this man that's been around, he hangs out in like his local coffee shop. He's kind of a know-it-all. He's humble, but if you begin a conversation within 30, 45 seconds, you realize this guy's smart. He's a teacher. He's seen and done a lot in his life. He's middle-aged. He's traveled the world. He's made a lot of money. He's lost it. He's made money back again. And he basically wants to tell you with a little bit of a skeptical Northwesterner edge, he wants you to know that there's more to life than just wisdom. 
he's heard Lady Wisdom and he's like, yeah, wisdom's great, but actually life is a bit more complicated than that. Wisdom doesn't solve everything, he would say. And he and the book of Ecclesiastes is this counterbalance to the book of Proverbs. And then finally, there's this older gentleman. If you were sitting at a table with these three, Lady Wisdom, uh, the skeptical man of the book of Ecclesiastes, and this third guy, he would be the quietest. He would wait till everybody had spoken and everybody had kind of gotten their arguments and everything they wanted to say. And this older man is Job and the book of Job, which you've read. Um, This guy, as you know, lost his entire family, all of his children, and then gained them back again. And what's crazy about Job is he actually led this wise, upright, righteous life, and yet tragically lost everything. So Job raises this massive question that we all have, why do the worst things in life seem to happen to the best people? How does that make sense of wisdom? How can a guy or a gal live intentionally in the flow of God's wisdom and yet have tragedy after tragedy? So Job addresses that. And each of these voices are totally different, yet super important. Each one of them speaks to a different aspect of wisdom, and we have to listen and respond to each of them. And tonight, um, thankfully, we get the more upbeat, uh, a little bit, I hope, more winsome voice, which is the voice of Proverbs. So if you would, um, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. You guys there yet? Proverbs chapter 1? Okay, good. And basically, um, really quickly, a little bit about the structure of the book. Um, Chapters 1 through 9 are speeches, and kind of this one through nine is really the opening uh, of the book of Proverbs. And then starting in uh, chapter 10 through 31 are the Proverbs in earnest, these couplets um, of observations and wise sayings. And if you, you know, like if you pick up a book in Powell's or whatever, and you look at the back of the book, it's kind of a synopsis. Well, we're going to read the synopsis, which is the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. Okay, so you ready? This is kind of like who and why about the book of Proverbs. You ready? You ready for this? All right. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding the words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord, and remember, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is God's proper name for the Hebrew people, Yahweh. So the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, in the first couple of verses, you, it's pretty clear what this is about. It's for gaining wisdom, instruction, um, and a bunch of synonyms, insight, understanding, what is right, what is prudent. And so before we go too far, we have to stop and go, okay, what is this idea of wisdom? And it's not as simple as just one English word. In the Hebrew, the word is chokhmah, and it's got the ch. 
So hoch, you got to say it with me. Hochma. Ready? One, two, three. Hochma. Yeah, it's got a hoch and a ma. It's perfect. Uh, so hochma, in the Hebrew mindset, and according to the scriptures, is this universal law that's woven into the fabric of the universe. In Proverbs 8, it's said that when God wanted to use um, all of his intellect and insight to create the actual earth and the cosmos, he used hochmah. So this is a set of cause and effects in the universe that you can choose to work with or work against. And it's kind of like um, woodworking. Has anybody in here ever worked with wood? Anybody ever seen wood? Touched wood, you know what wood is. Okay, it's enough. Um, wood has grain, right? And if you're like sanding, a, this is my extent of woodworking. If you're sanding like a block of wood for like, a, I don't know, Pinewood Derby, little car or something, I don't know what you're sanding. But you're Gerald and you're like in the third grade and you're sanding a piece of wood and you sand with the grain, it goes well, right? And if you sand a grins against the grain, it's rough and bumpy and it doesn't go well, right? And so also in the universe, there's a way of life, a way of living, a way of uh, making choices that goes well and is, creates a smooth pattern for life and relationships and business and sexuality. But if you go against that grain, there's pain and there's frustration. So Lady Wisdom looks for these patterns and in relationships, and she has kind of boiled them all down, and she wants to communicate these to you. And if you look carefully at the structure of the book, um, notice verse 8. We didn't read it earlier, but look back, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, right? Then verse 10, my son. Then chapter 2, verse 1, my son. And over and over again, you get that there's this pattern. Chapter three, my son. Chapter four, listen, my sons. There's this pattern of a father to a son. And so you have to ask the question, okay, why in this structure is it especially geared towards young men? And the answer is pretty clear, because young men are stupid. <laughs> and I can say that because I was a young man. But honestly, there's something in there. There's a special medicine that young men need to take that has to do with wisdom. I mean, think about it. The death rate for young men between 18 and 25 years old spikes. The frontal cortex, like the decision-making part of the brain in young men isn't even fully formed till after 25, right? That's why the military recruits them, okay? so. <laughs> Point being, there's a certain edge to this that young men need to listen up and hear this. But ladies, don't feel left out because wisdom personified is this elegant, wise woman. And what's crazy about that is she not only represents Yahweh, the creator God's wisdom, she represents God himself. Majority of the time in scriptures, um, God, you know, is personified as male, and there's usually masculine attributes, but here's one of these powerful times where the femininity of God is highlighted and is so beautiful. So what we want to do tonight is just a couple um, brief things to help you as you're reading Proverbs or thinking about the book of Proverbs, um, a couple things to help you in your reading, okay? That's what we're going to do. So um, first of all, 
as we're thinking about wisdom, I think it's super helpful to identify that wisdom is not the same as information. Information and wisdom are different. So think about this. A few hundred years ago, an average person in North America, everything that they knew, all the information that they'd gathered in a lifetime would have fit in like a New York Times newspaper, right? But today, in our current culture, we're in a state of information overload. The average person wakes up to news alerts on their phone, open their web browser to an unending daily flow of information. Even if you're watching movies, I've discovered recently, uh, because there's this podcast that's inspired me to watch more movies, be more intelligent about movies. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm trying, I'm learning. Uh, And if you, all right, I was thinking, I'd mention the podcast and everyone would be like, oh yeah, we know the podcast. Okay, anyways. (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Some people really do hate movies and apparently they're all here. Um, (laughs) On Amazon Movies, while you're watching a movie, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if, you take, if you're watching a laptop and you move your cursor over to the sidebar, there's like all this information about every actor. And even on some classic movies, there's like every location highlighted. Like there's a movie you're watching plus all the info about the movie. It's absolute overload. There's a lot of information out there. And if, if you're anything like me, um, who doesn't want to know about the latest thing? I mean, our city and, you know, Vancouver and the greater Portland area has something new to know about every day. A new restaurant, a new development, a new donut. There's constantly something new and good to know. And I don't know about you, but I've been shamed by people. They're like, oh yeah, have you been to that restaurant yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't been there. They're like, oh really? I thought you totally would have been there by now. It's like, you know, like a public shaming for not knowing the information, knowing everything that's happening. But listen, wisdom is different from information because it's not new. It's timeless. Unlike information that has to be updated, the wisdom in the Hebrew scriptures in Proverbs has withstood millennia. Millions of people in thousands of different cultures and contexts have tried out this wisdom, God's wisdom, and they've proven that it's good. And wisdom is different than information because wisdom must be lived out. It's not just about some trivial factoid that's useful in a conversation or at a party to know something about some minute detail. You see, information like that is is only valuable for a moment and then it's useless. It's like a boarding pass, right? So how many of you have flown on an airplane? Let's just get a lot of people to agree. Yeah, we've flown on airplanes, right? If you haven't, you should. It's really interesting, it's fun, you'll enjoy it. Uh, But when you fly in an airplane, you get a boarding pass, right? And you get your boarding pass and that's super important. You go through the security clearance, you're like, I'm I'm like supposed to be here, look, I have my boarding pass. And then you get to the gate and before I get to the gate, I always wanna use the bathroom because I don't wanna use the little bathroom on the plane, I wanna use the, right? So So when I go into the bathroom, I had my boarding pass in my hand, I'm like, careful, which pocket, I'm like, as I'm going to the bathroom, I'm like, which pocket? Is the boarding pass in? I don't want to lose my boarding pass. You go through, they scan it, it beeps, and you're like, yes, you get to your seat. And as soon as you sit in your seat, the boarding pass that was so important becomes a bookmark. It's totally useless after that, right? And that's the same as information. Factoids, sound bites, trivia, they're valuable for a moment, and then they're discarded and thrown away. But wisdom has this eternal 
value to it. Wisdom, unlike information, reminds us that decisions we make actually have consequences. And wisdom teaches us that even the super informed in our day and age can still be foolish. In other words, you can know everything about pop culture, you can know everything about your profession, about real estate or finance or politics, but you can still be out of step with the flow of God's wisdom, chokhmah, and you can be a fool. It's like a woman who's advanced in her career successfully and climbed the rungs of higher pay, more responsibility, and she seems so smart and has it all together in the workplace, but at home, she can't keep her marriage together. And we all know people who are super well-informed, successful professionally, yet their personal lives fall apart. Too often, I think, we make the mistake that information and intelligence are wisdom. And they're simply not the same thing. Wisdom is skilled living. It shows us how to navigate the ins and the outs of daily life, relationships, sexuality, work, and family. And another thing about wisdom that I love is that it's so practical. It's down to earth. And in a sense, wisdom is just knowing how to say and do the right thing at the right time. And this is what sociologists call um, emotional intelligence or EQ. Maybe you've heard of this. I just learned about it. But basically, this is the idea of like social skills or street smarts, the skill of handling interpersonal relationships well, knowing how, and say, how to say and do the right thing at the right time, how to express the right emotions at the right time. Um, and some would even say that EQ emotional intelligence is a greater indicator of success than IQ. That oftentimes it's said that the A students end up working for the C students. Now, if you're a student here, you can still have EQ and IQ. That's what I told my kids. I'm like, you're not off the hook. Get, still, you want both. But, it, but it's that interesting concept that wisdom is knowing how to interact with people in the right way. So for instance, let's look at a couple um, super helpful practical Proverbs. Okay, you ready for this? We'll put them up on the screen. There you go, Proverbs 27, 14. It says this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, now notice it's loudly and it's early, okay? It will be taken as a what? A curse, right? And so in my home, I'm married with three kids and I'm usually the first one up, I'm making coffee and I hear like the pitter patter of feet coming down. It's getting louder as my kids are getting older, but you know, the, someone's coming down the stairs and I get excited. I'm like, okay, who's up, you know, who's awake? And I'm like an extrovert and I've like, you know, been away from people for eight hours while I was sleeping. I'm excited to see who's <laughs> gonna come in, you know? And uh, what I realized is in one of my kids in particular, I would greet him or her, I don't, you know, if you know my kids, I don't want to throw them under the bus. Or as my youngest would say, throw them under the boat, uh, which is actually worse because anyways. <laughs> so as the kids come in, one in particular, I would greet this child of mine with such love and affection. And all I got from this person was, Ur. and I was like, and so I kind of confronted them and I was like, hey, you know, that's rude. Like, I'm like, I want to, I love you. I'm excited to see you. And I'm like giving you this warm greeting. And what I realized from Proverbs and from experience with this child is that actually I was the one that was being rude. 
Like some people just want to be left alone. And if you want to win friends and influence people in life, don't do this. Don't loudly bless early in the morning. Next one. Uh, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own. So what does this mean? Basically, um, this is a proverb that's saying, look, the way in the, that life works is nobody likes someone who brags about themselves. Nobody likes someone who comes in and leads with their own accomplishments. One who brags, or even one who just talks a lot about themselves, right? And the irony is I'm going to tell a story about myself, but just follow along. Uh, <laughs> You know, we were at a wedding recently and uh, I have bad ability to get good wedding seats. So if you've been at a wedding, usually there's like a reserved table for the, you know, the prince and the princess, I mean the bride and the bridegroom and their families, you know, and then everybody else is kind of a free-for-all. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, now it's time to eat. And everybody just goes over there. Well, for some reason, my wife is like really bummed. She's like, Babe, why are we always getting the worst seats? I don't know. I'm usually the furthest out and they say, go get a seat and we go and there's none left. And there's definitely none at the cool table. So we've had, you know, wedding meals in parking lots where they're like, hey, sorry, we'll set you something up out here. And if there's any food, we'll bring them to you. Or I've sat in the grass before. Everyone's like seated at tables. and They're like, can you just sit here? I'm sorry. All the seats are taken, you know? And some people, and some of you probably are like this. I've seen people who are hovering around the chairs. It's like a game of musical chairs. And they're like, okay, wedding season. Boom, you get those seats. And I end up in the parking lot. So anyways, I've had a lot of experience with my wife where we end up at random tables with random people. And we've learned over the, that one of the best ways to deal in that context is to ask people questions. So we were sitting next to a lady that we didn't know. And we asked her a question. Every time I asked her a question, it was like a 30 minute answer. You know, so it's like, hey, tell me about your family. 30 minutes later. And tell me about what you do. 30 minutes later. And by the end of the dinner, she said to Jenny and I, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys. <laughs> Which was totally ironic because, and then she said, um, this is the best part. She said, this has been one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. <laughs> and all that was happening was she was talking about herself. So wisdom is super helpful to shape you to be liked by others and in general, how to not be annoying. And this is, this is the grain of life. This is the way life works well. But the wisdom in Proverbs isn't just about life hacking. It also deals with morality. What's right, what's wrong, good and evil. And this brings us to the concept of the fear of Yahweh. Remember that? We read it in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. So what God is saying and what Lady Wisdom is trying to convince us is that the first step towards getting in the flow of chokhmah, the flow of wisdom and how things work well. The first step is this concept of the fear of Yahweh. So what is this, right? First of all, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean you run away from God in terror, but rather that you run to God in humility. See, it's not about being afraid of God. If there's anything that we should be afraid of, it's life without God, life on our own, alone. But instead, the concept is humility, acknowledging God for who he is. And you know, um, 
at Bridgetown Church, and I know a lot of the leaders here at Van City, we've been on this journey of what does it mean to hear God's voice? Like God speaks today, and when we pray, we can do listening prayer and hear God. What is that like? You know, he speaks in words and images. And honestly, when we began that journey a year and a half, two years ago, I was super afraid because I, I, I had this fear that, wait a minute, if I slow down all of my input and my, my thinking, and I really ask God to speak to me, I was afraid he was going to remind me and put in my face all of the wrong things that I've done, all the mistakes, all the way that day or that week or that month, all the ways I've blown it. And I don't know about you, but for me, like I'm very aware and I remind myself regularly of my shortcomings and the way that I've screwed up recently or in the past month or whatever. And I was like, great, this is going to suck. I'm going to like go to God, get really, really still and quiet. And then he's going to just be like blammo and bust me. But what's so crazy about that is that as I push through that fear, and what I've found is oftentimes the other side of our greatest fear is our greatest life and our greatest successes. And I pushed through that fear. What I found was the exact opposite of what I expected. As I pressed into listening and God, what do you want to say to me? I was overwhelmed with his love for me. And my, the response and what God did was this incredible joy. And this has happened over and over. And now, honestly, in the past couple, past year and a half, the best moments for me in my life have been these moments when I've really pressed in to God and his voice. And I've just been overwhelmed with his love and his joy. And it's often brought this emotion of, of laughter and tears. And what's so crazy is it's the exact opposite of what I thought. So if you can relate to that, I just want to encourage you that this concept of, of fearing God um, is an issue of respect and humility and acknowledging who he is. But please, no, press into his heart. So wisdom begins with this acknowledgement that he's at the center of the universe and not us. He's the king, not me. So here's a couple um, verses from Proverbs that really help with this concept. Proverbs 3, 5, which you probably know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. When I saw this verse through the lens of this concept of fear of God, it unlocked it for me. I, I, I taught this to my kids, we memorized it together, but think this through with me. This is fearing God. Trusting God with all your heart for what is right and wrong and not leaning on your own understanding. It's me saying, okay, God, you are the king. I follow you. I'm not gonna listen to myself. I'm gonna seek you for wisdom. And really this concept of wisdom is an acknowledgement that we don't know everything. Wisdom actually comes from outside of us into us. Lean not on your own understanding means, God, I'm going to follow your way. I don't decide what's good and evil. My understanding of what's right in life isn't always accurate. I don't know it all, God. I need you to show me. Show me how to walk in this chokhmah. And remember this, um, if you know the second part of the verse, um, how does the first part go? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths Straight. Do you know that? Now, remember, as you're thinking this through, Proverbs is not promises. It's 
kind of weird, but there's this high likelihood you follow the way of wisdom, you get in the flow of the universe and the way that God has orchestrated life to work. There's high likelihood that things will turn out. It generally does, but there is still the world, the flesh, and the devil fighting against us. Remember Job? Secondly, let's look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, the very next verse 7. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear Yahweh and shun evil. So like Adam and Eve in the garden, we must choose. This so-called wisdom in our own eyes or the wisdom that comes from God. And think about how practical this is for daily life. It's like the young woman in her first, you know, professional job and she wants to set this career path and be successful. And yet she realizes that in the business that she works in, she's being asked to falsify numbers. And, and her whole team around her is like, hey, we all do this. It helps the company, it helps us. And there's basically no chance that you will get in trouble for this. As a matter of fact, if you don't do it, it's not going to go well for you here at the company. See, wisdom says to that girl, quit that job, even though it's your first job, even though you need it as a building block to where you think you're called to go, quit and run. Because in the end, justice will come. See, wisdom is uh, stated in this amazing quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that the human, the moral human history has a long arc towards justice. In other words, it's going to take a long time for things to come to a reckoning, but they will. So you make decisions according to wisdom now, even though the end result in the immediate scenario looks bleak. You make those decisions now according to God's wisdom, knowing that in the end, everything done in secret will be exposed. Those who fear God and do justice will be rewarded. Fearing God has direct practical application to how you live your life Monday morning. So one more thing about Proverbs. You guys with me? One more thing, is that okay? I don't know how they do it in Vancouver. If they're done with you, do they like pull you off the stage? Okay, one more thing. Wisdom is an invitation. So as I said, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is kind of this intro, these speeches, and I want to read to you the final closing speeches. And if you read with me, um, you'll see this beautiful invitation. So would you turn Proverbs chapter 7? And this is a story of this seductress woman and her prey. So there's another personification. Follow along. I think it will become clear. So chapter 7, starting in verse 6. And this is the father speaking again to the son, and he's going to describe this uh, seductress woman, and then you're going to hear her speech. Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, and I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down to the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night was setting in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him 
and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, today I've fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I don't know, I've never seen those, but apparently they're really nice. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse, read like satchel, okay, man purse. He took his man purse filled with money and he will not be home till the full moon. With persuasive words, notice that. It's a speech. Her ammunition against him is primarily her words. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, and a bird darting into, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. So, she calls out to him, she seduces him with her words, and then Lady Wisdom uses violent animal killing to illustrate what it's like to dine with this seductress woman. And as you work through, you realize this woman is foolishness or folly personified. This adulterous woman represents what it's like to follow folly. And then on the other hand, Lady Wisdom now cries out and gives her speech. Flip over one chapter to chapter nine verses one through six, and this is just, it's this other argument, this other speech. You ready? Chapter nine, verse one. Wisdom has built her house. She has set it on seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So Lady Wisdom now calls out just as this seductress woman has, and she invites them in to a meal. She's prepared the meat, she's mixed the wine, and she's like, come in, come in. And so what you hear is these two women calling out to the foolish and saying, come dine with me. Now, what's interesting about Lady Wisdom is her house is at the highest point of the city. And in the ancient Near East mindset, this is where a temple would be. This would be the space where God would meet with humanity, the highest point of the city. So here it is again, Lady Wisdom representing Yahweh himself. And the key here is the invitation, who will you dine with? And here's the conclusion of Lady Wisdom's speech. Uh, zip down, chapter 9, verse 13. Lady Wisdom is now, in her concluding speech, talking about Lady Folly. And she says, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits 
at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on her on their way. And she says, let all who are simple come to my house. And to those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And that's the end of her speech. Basically, Lady Wisdom is saying, do not go to that unruly woman's house. Do not say yes to folly, because if you do, you'll go inside to dine with her and you'll end up dead and buried. It's like a serial killer. The bodies are buried under the house, is basically what she's saying. And isn't it a striking metaphor that she ends with? It's literally choose life in Lady Wisdom or choose to be murdered by Lady Folly. So the young men and each of us are required to make a choice, right? Who do you choose to go with? Who will you dine with? Who will you be intimate with? And the argument is almost set like a marriage. She's saying young men the father saying, my son, choose a lifelong covenant relationship. Pursue a relationship with Lady Wisdom. But before we end tonight, we have to ask a question. What if you haven't spent a life tapped in to this life-giving force of chokmah? What if you've been listening to the wrong voice and you went to dinner at the wrong woman's house, so to speak? What do you do? And I would simply say tonight, run to Jesus. If you've been living outside of God's wisdom, come back to him tonight. It's simple that you and I can just admit that even with all of our intelligence, there are things we don't understand. We need to give up our autonomy and come to Jesus. And what's more is that Jesus is the epitome of God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, up on the screen, it is because of him that you are in Christ, because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's a crazy concept. If you want to see what wisdom looks like embodied, it's in Jesus. One scholar said it this way, the message is clear. Jesus is wisdom herself. Do you need wisdom tonight about a decision? Um, you have to make a decision soon. You need direction in your life. Come to Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. He loves to give wisdom. To those who ask, he gives it generously. And this wisdom can be found in Jesus by his spirit here tonight. Let's pray.